Our second reading this morning uh, is Acts chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 51 through 60. Acts chapter 7, uh, verses 51 through 60. This is the, the very end part of Stephen's uh, speech before the Sanhedrin. And then the scene, the ugly scene that ensues uh, after that speech. Hear the word of God. You stiff-necked people uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out in a loud voice, and they stopped their ears, and they rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, it is by your Holy Spirit that the words of Scripture have been inspired and preserved for us down through the centuries. We pray this morning that you would send us your Holy Spirit so that our minds and that our hearts would be illuminated by your word. We pray that you would seal to our hearts this day the truth of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me begin by saying that I hate death. I'm not reconciled to death. Death is an intruder upon God's plan for humanity. I don't like having to do funerals. I don't like having to say goodbye to people. Death is the enemy. The whole Disney circle of life thing, well, that's just paganism. We, as Christians, do not embrace death. We do not honor death. God created us to live, not to die. God is life, and He is only life. God's plan for us is eternal life. Death is hateful. It is an intrusion upon God's plan. And yet, death is our reality. Death has to be part of our life plans, because we will die. Well, almost certainly, unless you happen to draw the lucky card and are part of that generation that's alive when Jesus returns. Otherwise, we will not escape death. But every other generation, and how many generations have there been, death has been part of their life. Each generation has gone down into the dust. Death is part of the curse of creation. Death is a consequence of our sin. And God said to Adam about this curse, this is Genesis 3.19, God said, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. 
How many times since I've been here at HVPC have I stood by a grave and recited those words from the Book of Common Prayer, we therefore commit this body to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. How many times? Too many times. I hate death. I am not reconciled to death. Death is an intruder upon God's plan for humanity. And yet, for those of us who are in Christ, death is not the victor. Death does not win. And even death is required by God to serve our good. Even death is required by God to serve God's good's purpose. For the Christian, even death, which is the worst thing possible, even death is put into the service of God's work and God's plan. Our union with Christ transforms our death from the worst thing imaginable, the extinction of our very being, the end of our days, the termination of all hope and progress in life. Our union with Christ transforms that from the worst thing imaginable, into a series of sweet and unexpected gifts. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the gifts of a Christian death. Gifts we see captured in three things Stephen says in the hour of his death. But let me first begin by talking about the stoning. It's important to recognize that the stoning of Stephen was illegal. The Jews did not have the authority uh, to kill anyone. That was reserved to the Romans. A few months earlier, of course, uh, they arranged for the execution of Jesus. That was legal, but the Romans are the one who did the dirty deed. The killing of Stephen, however, doesn't even have the veneer of a legal proceeding. It was simply a mob murder. It was a lynching. Stephen was testifying before the Sanhedrin, and finally what he said in his uh, in this Jewish uh, religious court so incensed the people that they begin to scream at him, and they rush at him in a mob, and they drag him out of the city where they kill him by throwing stones at him. Now at some point in this melee, someone must have hit Stephen in the head, with a stone large enough to knock him to the ground and to knock him unconscious. Of course, the bloodthirsty crowd doesn't stop there. They don't stop throwing stones at him until he's dead. Death by blunt force trauma is what the coroner would say today. It's a gruesome way to die. Maybe you saw the video of Adam Hayner, who last Sunday got caught in the middle of a protest in Portland, Oregon. He was dragged from his truck. He was beaten unconscious in the streets by a protester. He's lucky he's alive. The kind of hatred that causes one human to seek the injury or the death of another human, that kind of hatred comes straight out of the pit of hell. This man was lucky to get away with only head injuries, three broken ribs, and two black eyes. It was precisely that kind of hatred, insane, irrational hatred, that inflamed the mob that killed Stephen. Screaming, running, throwing stones, like people who've lost their minds. I want you to understand the chaos 
And the violence around this scene of the death of Stephen, because sometimes the picture that we have in our mind of the stoning of Stephen is sanitized. It's glorified, it's sanctified, it's prettified. But the truth is, it was a horrible, noisy mess. It was horrible because it was driven by hate. And hate is the language of Satan. And hate is the handmaiden of death. And death is the final enemy. But over hate and over death, the love of Christ brings victory and life. Even in this horrible mob murder, in this killing encounter with the rage uh, of hell itself, we see that union with Christ brings Stephen three gifts. Number one, a vision of God and of the glory of Christ Number two, communion with God through Christ. And number three, an opportunity to bear witness to God in Christ-likeness. Okay, three gifts of a Christian death. Let's take a look at those in turn. Number one, a vision of God and of the glory of Christ. Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Wouldn't you love to see that? Think about it for a minute. If you got to see the heavens open and to see Christ, wouldn't that be the highlight of your earthly life? You know, when your life comes to an end, your highlight reel actually isn't that long. Some of you knew my Uncle Stanley. He donated this piano in memory of his wife. She had been a Roman Catholic. He was a Protestant. And so when they were married in 1943, they weren't allowed a church wedding. And it always um, grieved him. And so we gave Uncle Stanley a church wedding right here. We allowed them to renew their vows right down front here. And it meant enough to Uncle Stanley that he donated this grand piano in memory of his wife. In his later years, Stanley wanted to get down on paper some of the stories of his life. So I would sit with him each Friday in his room in the Protestant home, and he gave me the highlight reel. He had lived a long time. He lived into his 90s. But when all was said and done, there were only a few highlights. Winning a senior golf championship at Huntington Valley Country Club, being the judge at the Miss Philadelphia pageant, hobnobbing with stars at the Rainbow Room, Ninety-some years seems like a long time, but it's not really. And I think no matter how long we live or how illustrious our life might be, if we were to have a vision of Christ in heaven the way Stephen had, if we were to see into heaven and see Jesus at the right hand of the Father, I do believe that that would be the pinnacle of our lives. What could surpass catching a glimpse of the creator of the universe? What could be better than seeing Jesus, even if just for a moment? Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now in the account from the Acts of the Apostles, that's what Stephen says. After the people in the courtroom go bananas, 
and start gnashing their teeth at him, but before the actual physical violence begins. Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What a, what a gift. What an important uh, thing in life. Now, in the traditional iconography of Stephen, the scene of heaven being open to Stephen is usually pictured as happening while he's being stoned. While under the assault of the stones being thrown at him, Stephen is pictured as gazing up and catching this vision of Christ in heaven. Now whatever the actual sequence of events was, what is clear is that in the hour of his death, Stephen saw Christ in a new and in a special way. Obviously he had known Jesus during his earthly ministry, and but now he was seeing with his own eyes, the glorified Christ in the heavenly realms, in the presence of God the Father, and it must have blown his mind. God gives Stephen a vision in the hour of his death. It's a tremendous gift. I think Christians often are given a clearer vision of God and the glory of Christ in their closing days. Archibald Alexander, who was the first professor at Princeton Seminary records an account of the final days of Andrew Reve, who was a professor of theology at uh, the University of Leiden. Reve had been a devout man. He had been a powerful preacher of the word. He had been a important theological scholar for more than 50 years. But when he came to his last two weeks on earth, Reve said that he learned more in those last ten days than he had learned in all of the decades of devoted theological study. Just before he died, Reve wrote these words. A sense of divine favor increases in me every moment. My pains are tolerable, but my joys are inestimable. I'm no longer vexed with earthly cares... I remember when any new book came out, how earnestly I longed to have it. But all of that is now dust. You are my all, O Lord. My good is to draw near to you. What a library I have in God, in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You are the teacher of spirits. I have learned more divinity in these ten days that you have come to visit me than I did in fifty years before. At the brink of his own death, Stephen says, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. One of the gifts of a Christian death is a clearer vision of God and of the glory of Christ before we pass. Secondly, another gift of a Christian death is communion with God through Christ Lord Jesus, receive my spirit is uh, Stephen's dying prayer, his confident prayer, knowing that his days on earth are, are now over. <coughs> I'm not sure that that's what I would have been praying in that moment. I think I probably would have been praying, Lord, let this be a dream. Lord, get me out of here. But Stephen sees his death approaching and that he knows that because he's been united with Christ by faith that Jesus will receive his spirit. 
That their separation that's been caused by the flesh is going to be over. The separation from his body in death will be his reunion with Christ. The Apostle Paul writes, we know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We are confident, I say, that I would prefer to be away from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Communion with Christ, being in the presence of Christ, is part of what produced Paul's composure in the face of his own death. We all know the 23rd Psalm, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. That's why I fear no evil. Because you're with me. Because Jesus is with us, we're not afraid. Even in the presence of death, we're not afraid. We have communion with Christ and we have no fear. Because perfect love casts out fear. Stephen is filled with the Holy Spirit. And even in the hour of his death, he's composed. He's filled with the Christian graces. Paul writes, God gave us a spirit not of fear. But of power and of love and of self-control. Fearless power. Love and self-control. That's a perfect description of Stephen, in the hour of his death, he's not afraid of his attackers. He doesn't hate his enemies. He's composed. He's rational to the very end. Now, of course, we should desire all of those Christian virtues in the course of our normal life. Before we get to the end of our lives, we should pray that God would give them to us in a more perfect way. But somehow, in the end of our days... We may receive them more fully. Facing his own death, the Apostle Paul wrote, in part to explain his own uh, power, love, and self-control, Paul writes, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or the sword? No! In all of these things we're more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I cannot be separated from Christ, then why would I ever be afraid? And if I have nothing to fear, then why should I ever be agitated? Or angry. The Christian life is communion with Christ. And in our death, that communion attains a new fullness. Our entire Christian life is supposed to be a preparation for perfect communion with God that we will experience in New Jerusalem. We have small hints and foretastes of that communion in this life, particularly in public worship, which is why it's important for us to be in church. But full communion only comes in our life after life. Death is a departure from this world, but for the Christian, it is also the doorway, the entrance into the full presence and the full communion of God through Christ. It's a tremendous gift. And number three, a Christian death can be give us the gift of the opportunity to bear witness to Christ through our Christ-likeness. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. 
Those are Stephen's final words before he dies at the hands of an enraged, nutty lynch mob. It's no accident that Stephen echoes the words of Christ from the cross, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do, a powerful witness to all who were there. Forgiveness and concern for others, including our enemies. How often do we demonstrate that kind of Christian virtue in the ordinary course of our lives? These virtues can be, for some, a gift in a Christian death. John Piper writes, The devil intends for your death to produce despair and hopelessness and self-pity and resentment and bitterness. But the design of the Holy Spirit is very different. He destroys the power of death and makes death an occasion for showing the beauty of Christ. Lord, do not hold this sin against them, a great triumph of Christ-like mercy. It is the case that as we age and approach our own death, some of us become bitter rather than sweet. Some of us become nasty rather than mellow. Because the approach to death brings with it one small loss after another. And each of those small losses portends the great and final loss. What we rail at most often in this life is loss. What makes us afraid and angry is the possibility of loss. Life, of course, always brings loss. That's just how it goes. There are Seasons of our lives which are filled with gains, but no one ages without experiencing genuine losses. Loss of health and vitality, loss of loved ones, loss of income and influence, loss of a meaningful role to play in society. And in this youth-obsessed culture of ours, even a loss of respect and dignity. Those losses can be galling. Those losses can be bitter. They might, by the prompting of the devil... As Piper says, produce despair and hopelessness and self-pity and resentment and bitterness. I've seen that in some people at their end. They're miserable and angry with the nurses who are attending them. They're unhappy and contentious with the family that's surrounding them. But I've also seen saints who are filled with the Holy Spirit who have sailed through the turbulent and uncertain waters of their final days with tremendous peace and great confidence. They know who they are. They know whose they are. They know who walks with them. And they know where they will be very soon. When a Christian faces the end of his life with peace and with composure... With concern for those who are around him, he presents a tremendous witness to the transformative power of the gospel. People notice those kinds of things. And so a final gift of a Christian death is the opportunity to bear witness to Christ through our Christ-likeness. Now most of us don't like to think about our deaths, even though... We will all face death one day. Me, I'm such a coward that I would like to pass away the way my father's mother did. She lived to a ripe old age. And then one day she had a cup of tea and she lay down for a nap on the couch and she never woke up. 
I'd like it to go that way with me. That's my ideal. But I think that thoughts of our own death are constructive. They're not morbid or grim. They rather help us live our lives more fully and more aware. Death, in a sense, is just an extreme version of daily life. And if we are composed in our minds about our death, then I think we may as well live our lives in a more composed and gracious and Christian manner. Life always brings losses, and losses when faced without the assurance that comes from resting in Christ can make us fearful and angry. We are living in a year of tremendous loss. We've had a tremendous loss of human life, of course, but we've also had a tremendous loss of freedom to do the things that we're accustomed to do. We've had a tremendous loss of fellowship and human contact, and all of that loss has made a lot of people very fearful and angry. I believe that it's healthy to acknowledge loss and to grieve over it. It's not a good thing. I think it's foolish to pretend that nothing is wrong when there really is serious trouble. But I don't think that anger in the face of loss ever takes us in the right direction. And I don't think that anger is the Christian response to the griefs of this world. I realize some people actually enjoy the feeling of anger. It makes them feel alive and focused. I think it's the adrenaline in their bloodstream. Anger can make us feel younger, more powerful, more purposeful. It can make us feel like we're doing something. Psychologists tell us that anger is a secondary emotion, that the primary emotion is always fear. Fear is an anticipatory emotion. Fear is an anticipation of what might happen or what might be lost. Anger often arises in times of uncertainty, and without a doubt we're living in uncertain times, and we're living in angry times. I don't want to say that all anger is out of the pit of hell. I think a lot of it is just kind of physical, biological, animal response. But I am convinced that Satan is a master of hijacking human fear and anger to wreak havoc and to destroy human community and well-being. Think for a moment about the mob that stoned Stephen. They're crazed with anger. They're blind with anger. What are they afraid of? What kind of threat did Stephen present to them? Maybe they were afraid of the loss of their power as the guardians of the temple. Maybe they're afraid that the holiness of Jesus cast a shadow over their pretensions to their righteousness. <clears throat> Maybe they realized that if Jesus is who he said he is, that their little game was up. I'm not sure what gave rise to the fear that the murderous crowd had as they were killing Stephen, but you can see their bloodlust, you can see their need to destroy the thing, the person that they felt threatened them. You can smell their fear. And their fear and their rage and their anger stand in stark contrast to Stephen, who is joyful and peaceful and forgiving, even in the face of this horrible death. The gospel is an amazing thing. 
What Stephen and the apostles were bearing witness to was the amazing truth that Jesus had defeated death in two ways. First, by his atoning sacrifice, Jesus took on to himself the guilt that is the cause of our death. Death came into the world through sin and the death of Jesus is the atonement for that sin. The death of Jesus puts death to death. By faith in Jesus Christ, our sins are borne by Christ and we are no longer under a death sentence. We will die one day, but we will not be annihilated or forgotten. We will not be separated from or rejected by God. When we die, we will enter a new life, an eternal life. And the second way that Jesus defeats death is that he himself comes back to life. Jesus is the living proof that there is a physical resurrection of the body and conscious life will continue in a new and glorified body, our body, just a body that's made better. The people who saw the resurrected Christ were impervious to death threats because they knew, because they saw with their own eyes that death is not the end. Maybe they were afraid of the pain or the agony of dying, but they knew that death was not an extinction. That death does not have the last word. The Apostle Paul encourages our fearful hearts when he writes, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you add... Your blessing to the proclamation of your word. Amen.